It's October 29, 2018. This is Acacia Thompson for Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today on Lorimer Street at the District Office of Assemblyman Joseph Lentall. You have been in the community for a long time and representing the community environmental work for... Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. You've got a lot going on. Yeah. And so in the 50th District, we have a lot of environmental issues. A lot of challenges, a lot of past challenges and present challenges for sure, Acacia. Right, and can you talk to me about, first, what projects or initiatives or bills that you've supported are you most proud of environmentally for the people of Greenpoint? Well, I'm proud of uh, a lot of work that has been done in the community in addition to bills that I've sponsored because sometimes you can't get those bills passed the Senate. And I've sponsored, uh, I'm sure, dozens of bills that never made it out of committee in the Senate, even though we were able to get them passed in the Assembly, as you know. Right, right. Uh, so let me start out by saying this, that uh, in the 70s, when I was elected in 1972 for the first time, it's a long time ago, we were just beginning, uh, not even yet a decade, of understanding the environmental issues that were plaguing our planet and definitely our community here in Greenpoint. And uh, everybody was excited about the passage of the Federal Clean Air Act and the uh, Water Act, um, whatever that Clean Water Act that was passed in the 70s. And so we were just on the precipice, I think, of beginning to deal with the many environmental issues that plagued our neighborhood. We had specific challenges, I think, in this neighborhood with garbage transfer stations being placed all over our uh, neighborhood, and and, um, and that was especially challenging. And, and, and when the waterfront uh, was vacated by anybody, it was an easy mark for the uh, toxic uh, incinerators that they wanted to put up. and. Uh, we were able to defeat, I remember back in the early 80s, the huge, humongous incinerator that they wanted to place in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, mm -hmm. which was, uh, which I'm glad we were able to defeat at the time. But it wasn't an easy fight either. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was also proud of the fact that back in the 80s, we also was a were able to bring down the Brooklyn, the, uh, the incinerator, the Greenpoint incinerator, excuse me, that was um, really spewing foul air into the community. So, um, and it was about that time when we began to learn about the oil spill mm -hmm. that uh, we know lives under the ground in Greenpoint. And uh, we didn't know the extent of it. We didn't know what was going on. If you remember, there was uh, an incident that brought it to our attention, I think, in the 70s. I don't even remember what the incident was, but we didn't pay any attention to it until we found the huge uh, spill of oil under the ground by Mobile mm -hmm. when they had their transfer stations here in Greenpoint. And it was pretty odd, I thought, at the time that they never checked to see if there were any leaks until the end of the month. But that's how they did business, and that's probably, they said, what the technology allowed of the day at the time in, in the early 80s. And, um, but I remember that I was able to get the attention of not only the fire department, the U.S. Coast Guard, and uh, 
well as the DEC, the Department of Environmental Conservation, who had jurisdiction over that back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And they began to build wells to get some of that product out of the ground, which we know now is a very slow, laborious, and arduous task to get done. I mean, I, was, I kept on telling them that you got to do this faster. You can't keep this, you know, you can't tell me you can't get it out of the ground. But apparently, apparently they're right scientifically. It's very hard to get the oil product from the sand and extract it. I've learned a lot over the years, but uh, it didn't make me, uh, it didn't change my uh, uh, way of challenging them because I wanted them to get it done faster, even if they said they couldn't. Right. <laughs> but there are a lot of challenges in trying to get people to yeah. be accountable for what they need to do in the neighborhood. So I guess one of the most productive things that I've done is not a bill, but in, in defeating a transfer station on the north side of Williamsburg, where all of the new housing was built, at that time, before it was rezoned, it was really starting to become a huge transfer station or uh, an electric plant. All of those people were looking to move into the Brooklyn East on the Williamsburg waterfront. And uh, we didn't let that happen. We got rid of the transfer station that was there. It was first owned by a guy named Beretti. He went. I think he went to jail and sold out to uh, waste management. We got rid of waste management and we built the East River State Park that Joe Lentall established okay. back in the turn of the century, in case oh, you didn't know that. Relative. <laughs> <laughs> well, really the first piece of green, green space and open space in, in that part of Williamsburg. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, it was... Uh, um, the accidental playground is what they called it in the book. I think that book's on my desk. I'll just show it to Acacia. I don't know if you've seen this book. You have? Yeah, I okay. know what you're talking about. The accidental playground um, was a book that talked about. Can I find it? All right, doesn't matter. Here it is. I got it covered. I had it here somewhere because I lent it to somebody and they returned it. So I'm mentioned a few times in that book about being uh, the legislator who turned this around and got the gov Governor Pataki to go along with it and got the money from the Speaker to purchase the park. How long did that take to do? It took, uh, it took a whole session to get it done at mm -hmm. the very least, but it took also uh, monumental effort because the Republican administration only wanted to do a private-public partnership. Mm -hmm. So at first we partnered with NYU, who was going to manage the park and, and build their ball fields that they needed. Right. And we figured that we could do that because, you know, the state didn't need another park. They didn't want a park on the waterfront. But if they had a partner, a private partner, to run it and to have ball fields that could be used by the community when they weren't using it, it was better than not having anything. So the short story is that NYU had a dropout because when Bloomberg became mayor, he, didn't, he wanted that site for the Olympics as the aquatic site for the 
Olympics so that the water sports would be played there. I don't know if you knew that. I've heard that that's one of the reasons why we can attribute to the fact that we have Bushwick in the park is that that that's was right. the That's right. That's why we only have a park and we don't have NYU there. Right. And which is what we wanted in the first place. But we have an unfinished park, but it's still a great green space and people love it. It's coming along. And, uh, you know, we'll need the state little by little to do more in that park. Mm-hmm. But uh, so if that wasn't a bigger achievement than uh, that was the biggest achievement I had up until. Steve Levin and I fought and won the fight, even though others will claim credit. I mean, I'm not claiming complete credit. Com- I'm not claiming complete credit for it because a lot of the elected officials fought for it. But we were shuttled diplomats from Mayor Dabrowski to get them to sell the land for the uh, Bushwick Inlet State Park. You probably know that already, but I won't, I'll just repeat it because it was really, I never thought it was going to happen. But I knew that we could deal with Norman Brodsky. And I was the only one. Everybody was vilifying him. And I said that this is just the beginning of a negotiation where the city offered $100 million for the park. And we know, and I said right at the first press conference, that we can get Brodsky to do it for $150 million, I think. And if you don't believe me, look at the East River State Park, because I made him sell us that land. That's how we got it. I didn't say that before, but that's who sold us the land for the East River State Park. And he backed off from a contract that he had with somebody else to sell it to us. So I knew I could deal with him. And we made the deal not only for the East River State Park, but for the Bushwick Inlet State Park. So if those aren't two accomplishments in my lifetime that I'm proud of, I'm really dumb because I don't think anybody could have accomplished that as a New York State Assemblyman to get two huge parks in their district. A legacy on the waterfront. Yeah. And um, so going back to um, the legislative question that you've asked, I was really upset with the DEC for a long time because uh, I thought they were plea bargaining with these oil companies by uh, consent decrees. Mm-hmm. and giving them uh, uh, ammunition to continue to degrade our creek and and do that. And I I tried to get the Senate to pass a bill that would open up that process so there wouldn't be plea bargaining and that, you know, and that oil companies could really be punished for uh, all of the degradation that they've done. We never succeeded with that, but I, I led the fight for it in the assembly. I'm sure we got that bill passed, and if we didn't, uh, it's only because the Senate wouldn't pass it that the Assembly didn't take it up. Right. Um, and we have to continue to be vigilant. And we need, uh, we, we are home to the largest sewage treatment plant maybe in the, in the entire United States of America, at least in the Northeast. And uh, I would like to see us do green roofs. I just met with Marnie, you know Marnie? Mm-hmm. I just met with her before you came here. We're trying to do a, a new green, we're trying to get her a grant for more green roofs by Broadway Stages. Oh, good. And that's one of the things I'm excited about because we need more green space. We know we need it for water runoff into the creek and uh, for sewage uh, overflow. And and those are our challenges now. The, the, the uh, We have the Newhart site 
Now talk to me a little bit about the Newhart site. You've got a That's something ongoing. that we have to we really have to wrestle with because I believe that it could be dangerous to the people of the neighborhood, even though I know that the DEC will take care to do it correctly. I proposed at the last meeting that I went to that the DEC provide a independent engineer to look at what's going on during the project and pay for it so that the community would have a representative that they could trust. Not that they can't trust the DEC. I think they want to do a good job, and I have the greatest respect in the world for Basil Sagos. He's a friend of mine, and I love him, and he's a former guy who used to do Riverkeeper in our mm -hmm. district. Right. He's, right? Right, right. He's, so, a, he's, a, yeah, he's in Albany, right. He's the DEC yeah. commissioner now. <laughs> so I want, I want to see that, uh, that we do this right because this, is, this could be dangerous to people who live in northern Greenpoint. So we got a whole bunch of things on the table presently. We're still fighting garbage uh, um, that in the streets. Uh, I'm trying to get people to clean up the streets so that we could have a one day a week alternate side of the street parking in this neighborhood. And we had it done, except that the sanitation department reported that it's gotten dirty again and they're not going to do it. So those are, these are all environmental issues I, I, that challenge us. Mm -hmm. You know, the presence of garbage in our neighborhoods. We have rats that we have to clean up. I'm a constant caller to the rat line. They have the rat brigade that they send out. I love the rat, the rat <laughs> map. The city's rat map is really amazing. Well, so I started out, I remember, though, fighting for the, the toxicity of lead. That was my first environmental experience because they discovered high levels of lead in the Goldwick Park, which is right in, in Greenpoint. And this was back in the, in the uh, 70s or the 80s. I remember that. So I'm giving, I'm giving you this backwards, but these are things that I recall from talking to you now that uh, we got them to clean up because there were kids playing in the playground and there were high levels of lead in the sand, and they were playing in the sand all the time. So we got them to do the health department to do to test the soil, and at that time, you know, we were using leaded gas. So of course there was lead from all the cars driving by on Russell Street on Nassau Avenue, just spewing lead. Um, luckily, now we've discovered that we should use unleaded gas, and it really didn't hurt the cars, did it? No. To have it. So, um, but we still have, now we're talking about lead paint in the projects, and then we don't only have it in the projects. That's not true. I'm sure that there are other homes that haven't been tested for lead where kids are still eating chips of paint that we have to ferret out and get, get some uh, cleanup of that too. Right, right. Um, so those are things that are still on our plate and that we have to deal with. Right, and can you issues. can you talk to me a little bit about how the neighborhood's different as far environmentally since you started in the '70s representing the neighborhood? Um, well, I think that uh, you know we have more sensitive and environmentally conscious people in our neighborhood now than we've ever had. You know, due to the explosion, believe it or not, through gentrification, has come maybe some people who are more. Uh, environmentally aware, not that the people who, 
who were here before them weren't. But, uh, you know, I know that the kids who go to school, like Emil, are more smarter than I am and, and when I was at his age. And the kids that have moved into the neighborhood are much smarter than I was when I even took office about the environmental degradation of, uh, uh, of pollution and all of the other uh, climate change. And I haven't even talked about climate change. I've been an advocate for climate change, too, just by the murals that we put up at 318 I helped get and the one in um, Transmitter Park in order to put out, you know, that mural in Transmitter Park. That Mm -hmm. was done by Joe Lentall to let the artists do it. I got the owners of the property to go along with all of that, including the DOE, who we had to fight tooth and nail to put up those murals. They wanted a terrible contract that we fought against, but uh, that's another story. There's a story behind everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I've tried to be in the forefront of all the environmental battles that we've had in this community, but we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to have them, unfortunately. And, uh, And we do have a more sophisticated neighborhood than we had back in the 70s that I know will fight along with us, so it'll be a lot easier to battle the city, the state, because, you know, sometimes it's the city and the state that are the biggest polluters. And we have to check them. It's not only the private industry that's doing the pollution. Right, right. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Assemblyman Lentall. I hope I've covered what you need. I've given you a lot of stuff. That's, that's <laughs> what I need. Thank you so much.